0: There's a big difference between, between being a fan of somebody or cheering for someone and actually following them. A few years ago, a group from the church went to New York City for kind of a combination trip of ministry and tourism, and Beth was on that trip, and she had arranged beforehand to attend the Conan O'Brien show. And I wasn't able to go to the show, but, but Beth had made all the arrangements, and I knew she was a fan. I mean, I knew she, she, she enjoyed watching the show occasionally and you know, having young kids. She wasn't able to watch it a whole bunch. So I didn't get, did not get to go to the show, but I met the small group as they're coming out. And Jeremy Johnson, who's sitting right over there, when, when this group came out, he just came up to me and says, Aaron, I need to tell you something. He, Jeremy kind of has this, uh, this Tennessee swagger from growing up in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee. So right there in Times Square, he goes, I gotta tell you something, Aaron. I'm not gonna imitate him. He said, I have never seen anybody get as excited as your wife did when Conan and Brian came on that stage. <laughs> now, I've never really felt threatened by Conan. And, uh, you know, I'm really secure in, in my relationship. But the interesting thing about that is, you know, Beth is so much fun to travel with and to hang out with because she does get excited about things of that nature. But since that time... I bet she hasn't watched that show a dozen times. I mean, just you know, she just got excited about the moment, and then, you know, she was cheering for Conan. You weren't following him. I, the Avett Brothers, David Brothers, excuse me, The Avett Brothers—they're coming to town next month. They're going to be down at the downtown arena. I, I like the Avett Brothers. Don't have tickets. It's possible that I'll buy tickets and go. And I might go hear them and if they get introduced, I'll probably clap. I'm not the type that goes wild and crazy about stuff. If I go to a sports game or a concert, I'm not real exuberant. Uh, the the men in my family, were kind of stoic people and so that's not my natural tendency. That's one of the reasons when I worship the Lord, I've learned to do that because of what his word said, not just because of my, my personality. So if I go to this concert, hypothetically, I'll probably cheer for the Avett brothers. I'll clap for them. I'll be glad to see them. But I'm not gonna go sell my house and sell my cars and follow them and go to every city that that they're gonna perform in. And I'm not going to base my life on what the Avett brothers sing. Because there's a big difference between cheering for someone and following them. There's a big difference between Beth getting excited uh, temporarily that Conan came on stage and then not even watching the show 20 times over the last five years, or following Conan. She does not follow him, she just cheered for him. I'm not gonna sell everything I am to follow a band, even though I like them and enjoy them. Well, it's Palm Sunday, and we referenced during worship the scripture of people who cheered for Jesus and rightfully so because he deserves all glory, honor, and praise. We can never worship him enough. We can never applaud him enough. We can never shout loud enough for him. But unfortunately for those people, because we know the end of the story, the same people who cheered him turned their back on Jesus. The same people who had the capacity to shout, Lord, save us, Hosanna. Lord, save us, Hosanna. Five days later, we're saying, crucify him. Even his disciples, the ones who were closest to him, most of them, except for a handful of of females and John, most of them abandoned Jesus by the time he was crucified on the cross. See, there's a big difference between cheering and following that's why I'm so happy that our study of Mark 8 landed us on a scripture here on Palm Sunday. We've been going through the book of Mark on and off again, a lot of Wednesday nights uh, for the last several years. So we've been going verse by verse to the book of Mark and the, the, the sequence or the schedule took me to Mark 8:34 today and, and I was scheduled to go on through the end of chapter 8 but chapter, verse 34 just jumped up and grabbed me. And that, that's where we're going to hang out today. Mark eight thirty four just grabbed me, and before before we dive completely into that, let, let me talk to you a little bit about Jesus and his ministry. One of the things that, if if you were to describe what what type of ministry did Jesus have here on Earth, our, our first inclination is to talk about his miracles, blind eyes that were opened and the deaf who can now hear, and demon-possessed who were delivered, and miracles, the lame, were walking again. So Jesus did have a ministry of signs and wonders and miracles, but the basis of his ministry was a teaching ministry. Jesus was a teacher. He was a rabbi. And the signs and the wonders and the miracles confirmed God's hand was upon him. He was the anointed one. He was the Son of God. But everywhere that Jesus went, he taught. He was a teacher. And he taught all types of different ways. He taught the multitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, you may remember. He taught huge crowds. And then Wednesday, we talked about the fact that, that in the verse previous to the one we saw today, that as he traveled, as he traveled, he asked a question to his disciples. So he would, he would talk and teach. He would teach As they traveled, he would teach in casual times. Jesus was a quintessential teacher. That was the heart of who he was. He taught with the authority of God. He revealed the ways of God. He proved that he was the anointed one by the content of what he said and by signs and wonders that accompanied those. And God, God, he was fully God from the beginning. And he taught us and he's still teaching us today. So the setting is here is that he is in, a village that is a little bit north of Israel, so a little bit out of Judaism, in Gentile land, and he's in this this area where there probably was not a lot of Pharisees, there was not Sadducees, there were not the religious <clears throat> leaders that he was always rebuking. I said it was it was mostly probably Jewish and Gentile people, a mix of those. And now let's go to the scripture, Mark eight thirty four. <clears throat> It says, In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Mark 8, 34. Now, Mark, Mark taught this differently than the other gospels. Because he makes note of something we don't see in the other gospels. Calling the crowd to him. For whatever reason, Mark decided this was an important notation here. A lot of the teachings we get from Jesus were were personal to his disciples and they were private. And we have those private conversations passed down to us. And then there's the big sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. But in this case, think about this. Jesus said, come on, everybody, let's gather. Just get the crowd, come on, bring the crowd in. Let's make a crowd. There was something Jesus wanted to say here. There was something important for Jesus to get across. And so if Jesus called the crowd in together, then he wanted to share a statement that was truly important. And it's truly important that you hear this this morning. I, I want all of you and I want me to be followers. I want us to be disciples. A disciple is a tutor, it's a student. A disciple is a close one. A disciple is close to the one who is teaching him. Now, not just someone who cheers, not someone who just joins the crowd, but someone who is close, close to the one they're following. That's what God wants us to be today. So Jesus calls the crowd together and he gets them all together. And now you would think conventional wisdom is this. Let's get the crowd together and let's make sure we give them an appealing message. Let's gather as many people together and, and when, we peel the, when, when we get them together, we're going to share with them a popular message. We won't get into the details and to the difficult parts until later on. Let's hook them, all right? Let's, let's get them in now. That is what conventional wisdom would say. That's not what Jesus did here. He, he said, come on. Gather, gather the crowd together. And I'm going to tell you a statement, and he gives a very, very difficult statement, very tough statement. There's nothing hidden here, nothing hidden. Have you noticed that in a lot of the advertising that we hear today, that they'll send a, a great message, buy this pill for only $19.99 per month and you'll get a full night's sleep. And you'll never be irritated and, and again. And the announcer is over the board. Let's call 1 800 right now. And then at the very end of the radio commercial, there is an, a super speed reading disclaimer says, This could cause death, it could cause nausea, it could cause diarrhea. And, it, and it's so fast, they name every disease possible in about, about eight seconds. And, and you, you, you think you're, you want the product until you hear the disclaimer. Well, Jesus, Jesus didn't do a bait and switch here. He said, I'm gonna call all you together and I'm gonna, I want you to come together. And now here's the message. If any of you would come after me. Now here, here's the interesting thing that his disciples, Jesus called them. But now to the crowd, he's saying, if you want to follow me, he's kind of giving them the option here. If any of you would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. We're gonna break down this statement just for a few minutes before we leave this morning. Here's the first thing I want us to talk about is this, come after, come after. And here is parenthetically the word that that really what it's talking about is desire. If anyone desires me, if anybody would come after me, if anyone would desire to follow me, this is what needs to happen. We, we live in a very unique place in the world and in, in our nation here in Sumner County. Because if you're part, if you live in Hendersonville or Goodlessville or Gallatin or one of the surrounding communities that surround Nashville, I would argue, and this is one of the reasons we enjoy living here, It is actually to your advantage to follow Christ. It is actually good for you. I know this because people contact me on a weekly basis trying to access you. People who wanna sell stuff or promote stuff. I get contacted almost weekly. Uh, People say, hey, I'd love to get in front of your congregation and, and, and give this product or give this service. And I mean, you're a very valuable market. It's not that way all around the world. If you are starting a business in this community, it would actually do you good to display a cross in the lobby. More than likely. And I thank God for that. But that's simply not the case all around the world and it's certainly not the case throughout Christianity. I mean, we, we, we know that other brothers and sisters who are both alive today and who have gone before us in the Lord paid a very, very high price to follow Jesus. They lost businesses. They lost chances at earthly advancement. And they gave up a whole bunch for Jesus. They gave up a lot. So before we get too deep in the scripture, let me talk about this. If any of you would come after our desire to follow me, If any of you had come after desire to follow me, let me ask you a question and I want it to go deep to your heart today. Why do you desire to follow Jesus? Because there's a lot of benefits in our circumstances. I mean, the first one is eternal life and praise God for that. I thank God for that for eternal life. I don't take that for granted in the least. But for now, in the world we live in, in the community we live in, Most of the time, it helps you. Now, when issues of personal holiness, that's a little more fuzzy, but I'm just talking about an institutional recognition. Most of the time, it helps you to follow Jesus. What church should he go to? And I know people in this community who don't actually attend church will name a church just because that's the socially acceptable thing to do. So my question to you, do you desire to follow Jesus because of his benefits or because of him? Because we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what any of our futures hold. But one thing we know is that whatever the future holds, he's gonna be there with us. So if your desire is based off temporal things that can change, I just ask you to look and to change your desire. Now most of the guys in here, I would say 50% of us, when we give our testimony, it goes something like this. It starts this way. Well, I met a girl. And then I started going to church. Or I met a girl. And then hanging out with her, I discovered the gospel. Thank God for girls with standards. Thank God for girls who care about the Lord. Thank God for girls who aren't gonna date just any guy. Because if not, probably half of the guys in here wouldn't be here. There's nothing wrong with that. Maybe that's how God works. God uses pretty girls to advance his gospel. (laughs) But somewhere along the way, there's gotta be a shifting. There's gotta be a shifting and it's gotta be about you. I don't know when that time's gonna come. It's gotta be about you and God. It's gotta be about you and God. And the desire for him. That it's a relationship with him because he has a real personality and he's revealing himself. Jesus said, if any of you would come after, any of you desire me, come after me and be my disciple. This is what you're going to have to do. Here's the second thing, to deny yourself. Deny. Deny doesn't mean self-hatred. Deny doesn't, doesn't mean that it's just simply discipline. Because I would argue successfully to you that other religions contain more discipline than Christianity. The Muslim religion, they are dedicated. They are dedicated to facing Mecca three to five times a day and to having regular fast. And if we were in some kind of competition of who's more disciplined, I would say the Muslim religion is much more disciplined. Mormonism has much more discipline than mainstream Christianity. So it's not about who's more disciplined. Self-denial is not about, uh, not about habits as much as it is about a life perspective. And denying yourself means this. Denying yourself means you are no longer living for yourself. You're living for somebody else no longer your preference it's no longer your dream it's no longer your future it's no longer your money it's no longer your house it's no longer your marriage it all belongs to god it's all his you're going to deny yourself deny yourself if you desire him if you want to follow him you have to lose sight of yourself, Lose sight of your own interests. Maybe lose some social enjoyment. Maybe lose some earthly ties. Maybe lose some benefits that come from things you did in the past. But in its place, you have something better. You, you, you are not just a person that, that knows how to manage your habits. You're a person who is connected with Jesus himself. That's what this is about. It's about being connected with Jesus. It's about denying yourself as me. I'm no longer living for me. I'm living for him. It's not me that's living this life anymore. It's Christ within me. It's Christ, the hope of glory. He has my thoughts. He has my mouth. He has my resources. He he has my connections. He has my occupation. As I say that to you, even my heart's gripped and say, God, we fall so short of that, don't we? But yet, that is the type of mindset that we're, we reflect as we walk with him more and more. Paul understood this. That's why in Philippians chapter three, verse seven, starting with verse seven, he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I, I want you, if you're looking in your Bible or looking on your app or, or even just a screen here, look at the middle part of this slide here. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. See, the word suffering and the word loss, th- th- those aren't words that, that we like to have connected to the American version of Christianity. Now, I know that good decisions I have made have brought the blessings of the Lord on me because whatever a man sows is what he'll reap. So thank God for the blessings there is for living for Christ. I don't wanna minimize that, but there can be time periods of our life. There can be moments. There can be eras. There can be particular decisions when we're gonna lose lose something we love. And we're going to endure some suffering. And, and this is what Jesus wanted to tell the crowd. When he called the crowd together, he said, if you desire me, if you really wanna be close to me, if you want me to teach you, and you wanna be close and you wanna be near to me, if you desire me, then you're going to have to deny yourself. You're, you can't live for yourself anymore. You have to live for me. Within this, a man who counted everything lost, he said, there, there was suffering and rubbish and order, but look what he gained, that I may gain Christ. He didn't gain religion. He didn't gain simply the admiration of those who thought he was disciplined. He gained Christ. He was connected with Christ. And found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and to share in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. Identify, if you you wanna know him, if you desire, you've gotta deny yourself. Now here's the third thing, take up, take up your cross, take up your cross. This has become a bit of a metaphor for us and we could use that in, in the English language, we talk about taking up the cross and we may have lost the power of the statement. But when the people who first heard this message and first heard this statement in Mark eight thirty four, they they had a specific image in mind. The image was this, it was a criminal coming through the city with a cross on his shoulders in humiliation and the reason this was done publicly is because he was saying the criminal was, was, the statement was being made by him as he came through the city. I am under the authority of the Roman government. I don't have any rights anymore. I, I don't have a future anymore. I don't have self-determination. I don't have dreams. In my life, I'm about to be executed. That's what the cross was. It was an instrument of Execution. And so the people who first heard this scripture, or first heard the statement from Jesus, were imagining a scene they had seen before. They were thinking they had a memory, they had a thought of someone coming through their village carrying this cross with no future, saying, "I'm under the authority of the Roman government. My, My life is over. My life is done." My life is ended now. Jesus said, if any of you desire me, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. Take up your cross. Take up, take up your, your, your execution device. And, and that's why sometimes we have used this phrase, a personal relationship with God. I understand what it's trying to say, but we've used it as if that phrase is found in the scripture. And I don't know where I've seen it in the scripture, unless there's some more modern translations. I haven't seen this yet. It's certainly the concepts in the scripture. But when you take up your cross, it's not a private thing. Taking up your cross is public. Taking up your cross is a statement to your community, my life is over. It's not me, it's Christ now. It's Christ That's why water baptism is so important as a symbol of our salvation. Water baptism doesn't save you, but it's the first act of obedience after you've received his salvation. And so the first Sunday of May, we'll have a chance to have water baptism. I want you to plan if you haven't done that yet. I want you to make plans to do that because that's like you carrying your cross through the village. You're publicly saying, my life's over, but Christ, his life in me has begun, and this is such a better life, Christ within me. That's why, again, Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, he really has this concept. Galatians chapter 6 verse 14. "As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. Is that not a powerful scripture? I mean, we brag about all types of things. We're always bragging. And Paul says, I'm not gonna brag about anything but the cross. Because that's when my life ended and Christ's life began. Hey, this is a tough message. This is a hard message. But it's the message Jesus wanted the crowd to hear. and it's the message Jesus wants us to hear today. Jesus doesn't want you just to be One who cheers, he wants you to be close to him, to follow him. And so that's the last phrase, follow. The word follow means to take the same road, to take the same road. Sometimes we think about following as if we're in this line of two to three billion people who've been Christians before. And we're kind of at the end of the line here in 2013. And Jesus is up there, way up there somewhere, and we're just following the crowd. That's not what the word follow means. Follow means to take the same road, meaning you are a companion with the person you're with. You're on the same path. You're together. It's relational. Come follow me. Don't get in the line with a billion other people. Come stand right here with me, and we are on a path together. It's not a one-time decision. Following is a daily decision. The tense of this verb, without boring you with all the details of the Greek, the tense strongly, strongly tells us to keep following, to follow in a perpetual way over and over and over again. So it is that we we don't make a decision to follow Jesus just once, though salvation does touch us initially, often in a crisis experience. And maybe you're thinking about a time when you were in a church service and you raised your hand, or you were at a crusade and you came to the front, or your mom or dad prayed with you when you were a child. I don't wanna minimize that. And anyway, I believe in conversion. But conversion is not the end. Conversion is a starting point. It's a starting point of a life of Christ. And when Jesus said, come follow me, he didn't say, just raise your hand at the end of a service. Jesus said, come follow me. He didn't say, just walk down to a prayer partner. No, Jesus said, you come follow me. You spend your life on the same path that I'm on. Come, fellowship with me. Connect with me, walk with me, follow me. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a close one. There's a a closeness to the Lord. He's he's our teacher, he's our rabbi. And the disciples, the 12, and and certainly there were others extended beyond the 12, but they, they were not just listening to Jesus on a Sunday morning for about 25 minutes. They were with Jesus during unguarded times. They were with Jesus during difficult times. They were with Jesus when he was tired. They were with Jesus when the crowd was pressing in and when the the disciples were abandoning Jesus because his teaching got difficult. They saw him in every different atmosphere and excuse me, because they were close to him, because they were near him, that's what caused them to follow him. And so that's the same request that he has for you. It takes some intentionality to accompany somebody. You can't just blindly walk down a path. You have to, you have to always have an awareness of where that person is. If you're accompanying somebody, you know, you're walking down the path, but you're aware of where they are. That's where Jesus wants you to be in life. He wants you to be aware of where he is. That takes some intentionality. What that means is is this, you've you've done a good thing by coming to church today and I pray that you'd be blessed this week because of it. I mean, you put God first this morning, you could have done anything else. This is the first day of the week. You put God first on this Palm Sunday. I I just hope your week is blessed and better for it. Way to go. But if you're gonna follow Jesus, that means that this afternoon, you're gonna have to choose a right attitude. And Tuesday morning, you're gonna have to wake up and you're gonna have to be aware of his presence then. And Friday night, when it's your time and it's your leisure time and you get to do whatever you want to do because you've worked hard all week, you can't, um, you can't ask Jesus to leave the path until Sunday morning. Jesus, I'm gonna, tell you, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna live without you for this weekend. I'll see you Sunday morning. No, he's right there with you. Take some intentionality. That's why I love the scripture in Romans chapter 13, turn to verse 14, it says it this way But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Be intentional. Get on the path with Jesus. Stay there with him. Follow him. Hey, crowd, gather up. Listen to what Jesus says. He's, he's about to do something, he's calling everybody together. Who's he going to heal? What blind eyes are gonna come open? What's gonna happen? Jesus says, hey, if you wanna follow me, if you wanna follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. One of the scholars who knows Greek really well expanded what Jesus said by using the original words. And he said it this way. And listen to the beauty of this. Having called the crowd together with the disciples to himself, he said to them, listen to this, if as in the case, anyone is desiring to come after me as a follower of mine, listen, let him at once begin to lose sight of himself and his own interests and let him at once begin to take up his cross and let him start taking the same road in company with me. And let him continue to do so moment by moment. That's what the people in Mark eight thirty four heard Jesus saying. I'm gonna read part of that again. If you desire to follow me, let him at once begin to lose sight of himself and his own interests. And let him at once begin to take up his cross and let him start taking the same road in company with me and let him continue to do so moment by moment. I think Mark 8.34 and that phrase that is found in other places in the gospel is so appropriate on this Palm Sunday. Let us celebrate the Lord. Let us cry, Lord, save us. Lord, save us from ourselves. Save us from corruption save us from wickedness Hosanna salvation the Lord comes Hosanna save us from our illnesses and our sickness save us God from the immorality save us Lord from the mental illness that is corrupting us save us from the violence Lord Lord save us but as we cry out Lord save us let us not be that fickle that fickle crowd who can praise his name in one moment and deny him five days later Let us not be those who only worship him when it's popular. But let us be among those who daily take up our cross and begin to identify that it's no longer Aaron's future. And it's no longer the Church of Indian Lake's future. And it's no longer my marriage. And it's no longer my job. It's no longer my money. It's not my house. It's not my car. Because my interest in this world has changed. And instead, it's all about Christ and his cross. I mean, my job is his job. My family is his family. My future is his future. My dreams are his dreams. I am no longer, I am no longer a casual observer of Jesus Christ. I am no longer one who can just follow the crowd. I am a disciple. I will follow him. I'm getting on the same path that Jesus is on and I am staying close to him. That is a message Jesus wanted the crowd to hear. He's given us that message this morning. I want to give you some time this morning to connect with Him. In just a few minutes, just a few short minutes, minutes, I'm going to give today's benediction. But I want to give you these last couple of moments.